Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Welcome to the Marriage Today podcast. I'm Karen, this is Jimmy, my husband, and we are so excited that you're joining us today. We have some great stuff going on. We do. We're going to talk about Marriage on the Rock. Uh, This is the first book I wrote, first conference that I did. And we're talking about the four foundational laws of marriage. This is critical information. This is what saved our marriage, is understanding that there are laws of marriage that are true for every single person. And today, we're going to, I'm going to go to a teaching here in just a minute on the law of pursuit, the second law of marriage, which is the law of pursuit. First, we have some questions for you guys. Karen, I think you have a question for me. Um, I feel my marriage is headed in the wrong direction. We are roommates, at least, at best. <laughs> I feel like moving on for the sake of my happiness. Well, don't do that. Most people who uh, move on like that, they have regrets later. Um, Research has proven that. Now, some marriages, 86% of divorces are for non-severe circumstances. Only 14% of divorces are for abuse, abandonment, adultery, something like that. And so most people divorce because they're frustrated, they're discouraged, um, something like that. You say, should I move on? No, you should work your relationship. And one person can make a big difference. You beginning to put, the marriage works because we put energy into it. That's the law of pursuit. A man will cleave into his wife, and that word cleave there is like a word running up a mountain. It's a very, very energetic word. And it says a man, a, a husband should pursue his wife. A wife should pursue her husband. So we fell out of love, Karen, mainly because I got very lazy in our relationship early on. We fell back in love, and I'm going to talk about that in this teaching. We fell back in love because I began to put energy into the relationship. Well, the, the ending of this this question is sake, for the sake of my happiness, and that's a red flag to me because yeah. there's no such thing as a marriage should make you happy. You know, only God can really make you happy because at some point you're going to constantly go through stuff. Yeah. I mean, not being married, you go through stuff. Sure. And so, you know, to for the sake of happiness— I think maybe her expectations are not realistic because, you know, she needs to find happiness first in God. And then, just like you said, you know, God can change anyone and change circumstances. Yeah. But but on your side, begin to work at the relationship and begin to meet his needs, even if your needs are not getting met. Uh, and that's what you did, Karen. Um, my, this is for you, Karen. My spouse will disconnect from me unless I maintain an exciting Passionate atmosphere for her. I can't keep up, and I feel like she's being selfish. Is that valid? Well, hmm. Um, I'm not really sure of this question. Well, I think it's what he's saying is he has to perform. Oh. Is if he has yeah, to I'm trying com- to figure out. He, she wants her, her exciting and passionate, but I'm wondering, you know. Romance, just, you know, always keep— So are you saying that—okay, maybe he should be the initiator, just like he said with her on the last well, question. that's what he's— that, yeah, well, what he's saying here, I, this is the way I read it, is she disconnects from me, she rejects me, unless I maintain an exciting, oh, passionate yeah. atmosphere okay. for her. Okay, yeah, then I agree. Um, sorry, people. 
But um, yeah, I totally agree. I think that if he's doing everything and she's not, then maybe counseling. But yeah, well, I think the uh, an atmosphere of performance is just simply you have to earn my uh, affection, and if you're not constantly earning it, I'm not going to give it to you. Well, that's the opposite of grace. Grace just says, "I love you. I love you no matter what." Well, and you and I have been through dry spells in our marriage, and we never didn't keep us from doing the right thing every day. As far as the foundational things you're talking about in our, in our book, you don't you're not supposed to do it because you feel like it. You do it because it's the right thing to do, and it produces the right thing. That's right. The laws of marriage help you to understand why marriages uh, fail or succeed, and and so you know, I believe that this teaching today will really help people with questions like this to understand what to do and why you feel the way that you feel, why your spouse feels the way that they feel. So we're going to go right now to this teaching on the law of pursuit. If you're watching us on Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube, please leave us a comment, subscribe to our channel there. We're going right now to this teaching. One of the most important things that we understand related to marriage is there are laws. And a lot of times people are fearful of marriage because they don't understand that there are laws associated with it. Now I'm a pilot, I'm a licensed pilot. I got my pilot's license last year. My family will not fly with me yet. I mean, let me give that disclaimer, but there are laws related to aerodynamics. And so I'm not afraid to fly as long as I'm respecting the laws because there are laws. Planes don't just fall out of the air. Is that, you know, when you're, there's a plane that crashes or something that happens wrong, it just didn't happen, you know, just, just by chance. It's something Something violated the laws of aerodynamics for that to happen. I say, when you don't understand the laws of marriage, it's a really scary thing. And it was for Karen and me. We got married at 19 years old. We didn't have any pre-marriage preparation before we got married. And so we didn't know. And honestly, I just thought you're either lucky enough to marry the right person or you're unlucky and you marry the wrong person. And honestly, I loved Karen. I was very attracted to her. But I thought I married the wrong person after a few years of marriage because, and she did too, because it just wasn't working. We didn't know, no one ever told us, we were violating every law of marriage. And so some of you watching right now, you love each other and God puts you together, but you may be frustrated, you may be discouraged, you may be fearful because you've failed before in marriages or you feel like you're failing now and you don't know what to do. I just wanna give you the good news. When God creates anything, he creates it for success. And when God creates anything, he creates it upon the laws of his kingdom and the laws of his word. So when God created marriage, he said some very important words. And this is Genesis 2, 24 and 25. You probably heard this before. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now I'd heard that scripture read and I'd heard it at marriages and weddings and things like that. But I never knew that those were the four foundational laws of marriage. And that everything, God created marriage and he spoke those words. And when he spoke those words, he created a, a foundation for marriage that would ensure that every marriage could succeed. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. You have a 100% chance of success in marriage. You, you were made for marriage. God made you in your mother's womb and you were made for marriage. And some people just think, I don't know that I can succeed in marriage. You know, I'm fearful of marriage. I have a 50-50 chance. You don't have a 50-50 chance. You have a 100% chance if you do it God's way. Let me tell you the other good news. It's not complicated. If it was complicated, I couldn't do it. God doesn't use me to do this because I'm special. God uses me to do this because if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's simple. 
there are four foundational laws of marriage. And once we understand these laws and just apply these laws, it changes everything. And it did for Karen and me. We were on the brink of divorce. We didn't, we didn't know anything about marriage. But once we begin to practice the four foundational laws of marriage, first of all, it tells you what to do. Secondly, when you start having problems, it tells you we're having problems because we're violating one of these, these laws of marriage. So the first law of marriage is the law of priority. And we'll go through these four laws. The Bible says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother. The word leave there doesn't mean you mistreat your father or mother. It just means you reprioritize. Before you get married, they're your closest blood kin. Before you marry, if it came down to it, they're the most important priority in your life. But what it says is for this cause, not for every cause, but for this cause, you've got to reprioritize your relationship and don't be mean to your mom and dad. Don't you know, do anything unbecoming, but you've got to reprioritize and now your spouse becomes first. Mar Listen, marriage only works in first place. It won't work in any other place. And so we have to reprioritize our lives and able to do this. Now let me talk about legitimate jealousy for just a minute because there is a bad kind of jealousy, but when we get married, there is a natural jealousy that is inside of us that God puts there. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, we have two children, our, our children in their 30s, and when our daughter Julie was born, we got married at 19 and Julie was born when we were 20. And uh, about 12 months after we got married, just all doing the math. And uh, we, and Ju Julie was born and uh, she was born, uh, I had not held her. That was before the days that guys went into the room when babies were being birthed. So I was waiting outside, Julie was born and they took her into where they you know, cleaned her off and measured her and all those things. And so I had never held Julie. I, I had just, you know, obviously Karen was pregnant and, and then when she was laying in this little room with these nurses, I was looking in the window at her and one of the nurses walked up and grabbed her by the heels, you know how they do to measure them. And she just grabbed her by her heels and just hung her by her heels to measure her. I almost went through the plate glass window. I mean, literally, my body just said, jump through there and rescue her. That woman, you know, handled like a sack of taters, you know, and so it, it frightened me. Well, what I realized was the instant that my daughter was born, I became a protective father. I never read a book about it. Nothing ever told me I was supposed to do that. It was instinctive. When you stand at the altar and get married, or you get married, something, God places something inside of you that says, you belong to me first. Before your parents, before your friends, before the kids, before your work, before athletics, you belong to me first. It happens with both of us. And so remember in Exodus 34, 14, God says, my name is jealous. God, one of the names of God in the Bible is capital J, jealous. And jealous means intolerant of rivalry. God is not sick jealous. He is passionate jealous. God loves us and he fights for the relationship. And God resents anything in our life that has taken his place because God deserves first place, right? Okay, so God wants first place. He, he believes that he deserves first place and he does. So when God sees us giving his place to somebody else, God becomes jealous. Again, not out of an emotional unhealth, but out of passion. I'm thankful that I serve a God who loves me and fights for the relationship. I am. Okay, but in marriage, you naturally will become jealous when something has taken your place in your spouse's life. They did a study of couples and they found, and this is not a good study, this was just, but it was a real study. 
And they found that couples that first get married, we hear about the honeymoon being over, they're the happiest. And this is a secular survey. Shouldn't be that way, but they are. And the reason is nothing has happened in the beginning of the marriage to upset the priorities of the marriage. But when children come into the marriage, the satisfaction of the marriage typically drops. Again, there's nothing wrong with kids. Kids are a blessing. But when children come into the marriage, what typically happens is a man turns his attention more to his career. A woman turns her attention more to the children. And the priority of the marriage is lost. When children enter into secondary education, junior high and high school, marriage satisfaction is typically at its lowest. And that is because the kids are active. They, they need a, a chauffeur. They need to, they, they're socially active. And they need a lot of attention. And they need a lot of money. And once again, the, they do. And so there's pressure on the father. There's pressure on the mother. And again, they're not spending time together. Once the kids leave home, when they're 18, 19, 38, once they leave home, <laughs> the marriage satisfaction goes up typically at that point, but unfortunately never as much as it was before. And let me tell you the, the sad part about that is God made marriage to get better every year. God, God never makes anything to fail. How sick is it that the rookie is supposed to be the best? Is there any other area of life where the rookie is supposed to be the example? And, and, and what a terrible thing to say is, oh, how long have you been married? Well, we've been married 10 years. Oh, the honeymoon's over. Well, now you've got a lifetime of drudgery. Good luck. You know, it, what a, marriage gets better when you do it God's way. And it only works in first place. It won't work in third or fourth place. I, believe me, I tried. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. And so here's how to establish and maintain the right priorities in your marriage. There's two steps. One is they have to be proven in real terms, not just words. It, you can't just say you're first in my life. You have to prove that your spouse is first in your life. And here are four ways that you prove your priorities in marriage. They're very simple. One is sacrifice. What will you give up for me? It's real, it's real simple. What will you get? Golf, or, and golf is of the Lord, is that <laughs> golf almost ruined our marriage because Karen, early in our marriage, I golfed all the time. Karen wanted me to give up golf. I told her, I said, no, but you can come caddy for me. It was a near-death experience. I saw the white light, the whole thing. And is that I wouldn't give up golf for her, but I didn't understand why she was so upset. What will you give up for me? Now, I want you to listen to me just a minute. Now, the, the second one is time. Sacrifice, what will you give up for me? The second one is time, consistent with priority. If you're telling me that I'm first, there has to be time. Time is the commodity of relationship. Money is the commodity of business. If I wanted to keep you from being successful in business, I just have to keep you away from money. 
If I can keep money from you, you'll never succeed in business because money is the essential commodity of business. Time is the essential commodity of relationship. To ruin your relationships, all I have to do is keep time away from you. And there's the old saying, if the devil can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you too fast. And people are going too fast. And they don't have time for family. They don't have time for each other. And we have to cut back. What will you give up for me? And how much time are you going to give me? Let me say this. When Karen and I got married, there weren't cell phones. There weren't computers. There weren't fax machines. There weren't cars. There weren't, no, there weren't cars. We had cars back then. But listen, there weren't computers and cell phones and all that. So when you were with a person, you were with that person. If, if you were on a date and you were like eating dinner, it was just you. No one else was with you. Today, we have so much electronic intrusion into our lives. And when you're dating, here's what happens. When you're dating, your phone rings and you look at it and turn it off. Whoever's calling you, you, you turn it off because it's like, sorry, sorry. Someone's trying to get a hold of me, but you're more important. You're more important. I'm gonna sacrifice talking to my friend because of you. When you're married, you take the call. <laughs> and what happens is, some, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes you're together and it's a casual getting together. But I'm telling you, there's sometimes I'm with Karen. She, I don't want her talking on her telephone. And she didn't want me talking on my telephone. And what this means is I'm going to sacrifice being connected to everybody on earth for as long as it takes for us to bond. And let me say something. Electronics are great, and I believe in technology. It's a good servant, but it's a terrible master. It will destroy your relationships if you don't discipline it. It will destroy your relationships. And let me, let me say another thing. They have proven electronic relationships are not as quality as face-to-face -face relationships. And so when I'm with my wife, she, she belongs to me first. I belong to her first. And I'm going to say no to people who are trying to intrude on this so we can have a conversation without it constantly being interrupted or something like that. Now, you know, there may be an exception of the kids are home and the house is on fire, something like that. You <laughs> go ahead and take the call, you know, but... Number two, so you have to prove your priorities. By the way, the four, four ways you prove your priorities. Sacrifice, time, energy, and attitude. There has to be energy. It can't just be your home eating chicken, watching sports. You know, it's, there has to be some energy behind it and an attitude. The attitude is, I want to be with you. This, you know, you're not a ball and chain. I really want to be with you, and it's good. The second way that you prove priorities is you have to constantly protect them from good things out of priority. Good things out of priority. Most of the things that destroy marriages aren't bad things. They're good things out of priority. Let me give you an example. When I went into the ministry, Karen and I had a real problem early in our marriage with golf, work and golf. And I hung up my golf clubs for several years and it healed our marriage. Because what it communicated to Karen is she was first in my life. And, and I gave her then the time that golf was taking from her. And now she doesn't mind if I play golf because she knows that she comes first. But when I came into the ministry, I was in business before I came into the ministry. The Lord healed our marriage. People started coming to us for marriage counseling. Uh, the pastor of our church walked up to me and said, would you come on staff to do marriage counseling? I was shocked because I didn't, I didn't feel qualified. I'd never had any formal training in that. But I came on staff to do marriage counseling. And then 10 months later, he left to take a church in Florida. And I became the senior pastor of our church at 29 years old. I was terrified. I didn't know how to preach a sermon. I, I didn't know how to, to do a funeral or a wedding. Uh, I didn't know how to manage a staff. Our church was 900 people at that time. 
And I had no experience, and I had no friends in the ministry. I, all my friends were in the appliance business. They were worthless at that point in time. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, Bob, how do you pastor somebody? You know, and and uh, but it just so I was I was in ministry, didn't have any friends in ministry, 29 years old, and I was obsessed. Well, I had fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection. All those things were motivating me, and uh, I worked too much. And when I came home. Karen, Karen was, Karen's the best wife in the world, and she was totally supportive of me being in ministry and pastoring and all that, but I would come home after 12 or 14 hour days, and when I came home, again, Karen's a great wife, but she would say, Brent needs this, Julie needs this, I need this. And that's not what I wanted to hear. What I wanted to hear when I came home is, thank you for saving the world from evil. And uh, <laughs> you're... You're the greatest man on earth and come in. You don't have to lift a finger. We're going to do everything for you. But she didn't do that. Julie needs this, Brent needs this, and I need this. And it's like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. And she said, I know you're tired. And, but Julie needs this, Brent needs this, and I need this. And, and so we got in a fight over it. And I just thought she's persecuting the Lord's anointed. And uh, I, I did. That's what I thought. I just thought that. So... I told her that, by the way. Well, we got in a fight. We got in a big fight over it. And finally, I decided I'm sleeping on the couch. I'm not going to let, let the sister have the blessing of me being in bed with her. And I think she slept better, actually. For the... Honestly. I slept on the couch for several nights. I knew she was wrong. I, I knew she was wrong. No, no doubt in my mind she was wrong. And I was laying there one night, sanctimoniously, and I was laying there, third, like third night on the couch, and I was praying for her. And I thought, Lord, help her. You know, she, here's what the Lord spoke to me. I'll never forget it. it. Spoke to my heart. Jimmy, you have communicated to Karen in real terms that the church is more important than she is. Now you repent and you go tell her you're wrong. And I thought, you mean I've spent three nights on the couch to hear that? <laughs> and I went and I told Karen, I said, I'm, Karen, I'm full of fear. I'm, I'm driven. I'm giving everything to the church. And I said, I'm so sorry. And I said, I'm gonna leave the ministry. I'll go back in the appliance business. We'll get our lives right. And Karen said, Jimmy, you're supposed to be in the ministry. Don't, don't leave the ministry, but we need you first. And from that point forward, I changed because I decided I wasn't gonna lay my family on the altar of success. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. And I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.